1: Boat Trader is America's largest boating marketplace with over 100,000 boats to choose from. We offer simple, comprehensive solutions for those looking to sell, find, and finance new or used boats. Visit BoatTrader.com to get started.
0: Hey guys and welcome to the Jason Tales Outdoor Podcast where we try and inspire you to get outside and chase whatever outdoor passions and adventures you've been thinking about but maybe you haven't done or maybe it's just a beautiful day outside and you need just that little extra motivation to get out into the outdoors and enjoy yourself whether that's hunting or fishing and we hope to do that by providing you with awesome outdoor experiences, stories from people all over the world and including our own adventures as well. So thank you for tuning in. This podcast is made possible by our sponsor Wild Edge Inc. They're the maker of the simplest, most versatile climbing system in the outdoor world. So if you need a way to be ultra mobile in the outdoor woods when you're chasing whitetails, check out the Wild Edge system www.wildedgeinc.com and use the promo code chasingtails10. That's chasingtails t a l e s 10 to save $15 on any set of steps that you may order. Unfortunately, deer season is winding down, duck season's winding down, and most of your western hunting is winding down, but that's okay because that means turkey season and the off season is close, and that means we can prepare, we can start chasing birds, we can start fishing, and we can start to learn from the past season, and I've learned a lot this year. It's been a tough year, and if you're like me, suffering from the threat of tag soup, my season isn't quite over yet, but it's winding down, I empathize with you. Get out there, grind, push through the next couple weeks if you've got any season left, and if not, take the time to reflect and see what you could do differently. I know that I've got a lot to learn and, and apply to next year hunting public land. We've got big things planned for 2019. I've got an elk hunt out west. We're trying to line up some DIY hunts in different states outside of the state of Florida. If you find value in the show and you would like to support Chasing Tales, its growth, its reach, and its ability to bring content to you from all over the place. We have set up a Patreon account. You can go to www.patreon.com com forward slash Chasing Tales Outdoors or just click on the link down in the show notes. I put it in the bottom of every show notes. You can choose to, to sign up and contribute and that money goes directly to the production of this podcast. It offsets the operating costs that we have and hopefully to help fund some of these adventures that we have planned. If you would like to contribute. Please check out the Patreon account. It would mean the world to us if you would donate directly. Now, we should get to this week's episode, but before we do, I'm going to close this out with a brief word from our dear friends at the Sportsman's Alliance. If you're new to the podcast, or if this is your first episode, please go back a couple episodes and listen to the podcast that we recorded with them. The Sportsmen's Alliance is fighting for our rights to hunt, fish, and trap, and enjoy the outdoors on our public lands, on our private lands, and they have an incredible success rate in the court system. So here's this week's message from Sean Kern of the Sportsmen's Alliance.
1: The Sportsmen's Alliance is uh, we're a nonprofit organization, uh, but we were founded, you know, in the late 1970s. In Ohio, there was a ballot initiative that sought to ban all forms of trapping. So they knew that if they could take their agenda to Ohio and and win on this issue that's very near and dear to them, that they could then take that and plug and play in other states. Um, So a group was organized to run the ballot initiative on behalf of sportsmen. They ran the campaign. They did an outstanding job. They succeeded, and they defeated that ballot initiative. But calls continued to come in from around the country to these these folks from other states having similar issues. So there was a need. They took the appropriate steps and they formed the organization. And they said, well, let's let's specialize in these things. And so that's how our organization was formed. That's what we've pretty much focused on the last 40 years has been protecting and advancing the American traditions of hunting, fishing, trapping, and the shooting sports. And so that's, that's kind of the who we are and what we do. That's kind of our, our specialty is we work you know, in the legislatures, we work in the courtroom, and work at the ballot box, and we do work in all 50 states.
0: And I hope that after hearing this and listening to the previous episode, you feel compelled to join the Sportsman's Alliance like I have and like many of our listeners have to help support our outdoor hunting, fishing, and trapping heritage. All right, guys. So we are recording part two. uh, Admittedly, maybe a little bit late. uh, Part two of the DIY hunting hunter podcast, where my good friends Preston and Jack uh, chased elk deep in an Idaho uh, unit. Guys, what's the overall feeling to the to to the hunt? If you had to summarize it,
2: I'll let Preston do that. (laughs) An asshole. It sucked so uh, 99 it it suck it's just no
3: didn't
1: 99
3: yeah so i think this is this is how i explained to the one guy and i think jack you probably on par with this to somebody who is public land elk hunted if we sat down for two hours and talked to them about our day-to-day the many successes i mean no injuries we didn't run out of water food the encounters that we had with elk that weren't bugling To the person that does that style of hunting in every way, shape, or form, they would say that is about as much or more of a successful hunt than you could have hoped for, which that's how it feels other than our ending wasn't bringing home. We'll just blow it out there now. We didn't bring an elk home in the truck, (laughs) and I I know we sounded overconfident going out, but as we get talking with you, like, I mean... We had our bows, arrows flying, bows at draw, over and, over and over and over and over, and it's just that's the nature of elk hunting. So it was right there on the doorstep. Wait, from wait, day wait, one wait, wait,
0: wait, wait! Y'all missed. Well,
3: yeah, I mean, there was a deflection on one mine. The elk, it, yeah, we'll get into it. But, oh yeah, for sure. <laughs> it, oh
0: yeah, I, I'm blown away I, that Preston missed. I mean, this is the guy that, practice, that he he wakes up miss. in his boxers. And, and, and... I had a pass through, buddy. <laughs> I, had
3: a, I had a pass through. It just the them them fuckers are smart, fast, really knowledgeable animals. And, oh, uh,
0: okay. Well, I had a pass
3: through, full impact on video, but just a little bit off where you needed to hit. Damn it! You're gonna go yeah, again next really. year? What do you mean? We're going again in four weeks? Are you really? Yeah,
2: we leave the first time. This is the first time we've been going west in two years, and coming up, we've got Colorado Fourth Rifle, so we're upgrading weapons a little bit, and uh, yeah, it's going to be a lot of fun. I've been out there with Preston before, and actually, one of the guys that I've known since fourth grade has been talking to me about western hunting, and this, this and is I weird.
3: This is actually real weird.
2: And um, we've been planning on this hunt for like four years, because... You know, if you take the time, you do it right. You know, a lot of people say, like, oh, I can't afford to go out west. I can't do this. I can't do that. I'm like, Tony, like, you got (laughs) to go. You save, like, $2 a day, and we're going to get there. And we're headed there this year. So
0: That's awesome. the weird part is we're doing it right.
3: The weird part is his friend Tony that's coming, if you go onto our page on YouTube, I got him his first spring turkey this year. He's never hunted a turkey in his life, and we went out and smoked one. He is the butcher shop I take my deer to. And I never knew him from Adam. I would just say hi in passing and hi to his wife. And I went with Jack to meet his buddy Tony for dinner a couple years ago. And it's the guy that I take my butcher deer to. I'm like, you got to be kidding me. (laughs) Like, I brought you,
1: like, 20 deer.
3: He's like, I looked you up on Facebook. My wife's like, I think this kid brings a ton of deer to us. And I was like, I bring like the a season. And it's because we grew up three hours from Pittsburgh. So Jack knew this kid as a child. And here I know him from a butcher shop in a city. Like, what are the odds? And now we're going on elk hunt, which is pretty cool.
0: That's awesome. That's awesome.
2: Yeah, so we may be timing the weather right this year. The last time we were in Colorado it was 80 degrees in the second week of November. Um, I got sunburned. I got sunburned bad. They already got snow. I was just reading the weather this year. They said across the west they have more snow this early than they have in a decade. So maybe our luck will change. But
0: That's yeah. awesome. We're
3: not hunting. We're not hunting high elevation. We're hunting like a mid-elevation, so... The more snow, the better. It's going to push them down, which is what we need. Whereas last time, they were high, 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 and we were not up there.
0: Right. So where we left this off, I don't want to get into that too much because I feel like that's a good thing to touch on for, like, the tail end of this of this conversation, like maybe setting the stage for where y'all are going next. But yeah. when, last time we left off on the podcast, y'all had figured it all out. You knew how to get away from people. You, you, ha- you were very optimistic. We kind of laid out the – the standard for what would make just this trip absolutely ideal. I guess starting with day one, cause I can't think of any better way to dissect this starting with day one, uh, packing in, do y'all want to just kind of cool. start outlining yeah, how hey. the hunt went and I'll just kind of interrupt as, as needed. Sure.
2: Yeah. How about it, Jack? I mean, yeah, so we showed up, we rolled into, the closest town got a little bit of rest messed, met up with uh the third member of our party who's an idaho resident who's going to join us that year um settled on a plan he had talked to some people he had contacts with we had touched base with our contacts, and um we decided on what trail we were going to start on um got a little food to well, at least check with the trailhead well we, we at least we knew what well, we have like seven or eight to check
3: to see for outfitters and whatnot first um yeah but we had what just...
2: six six trailheads we were going to check and it just we, happened we hit first one yeah we had a number of pins we we decided on one and thankfully while we were up there later on we found out that are we we were lucky in choosing that place because there weren't outfitters there um and, yeah, moving, two of the... forward, moving forward like talking about this day by day um I think one of the reasons we are confident about it going into it and we're confident moving forward is we were dropping pins on areas like we, hey, we think this could be good. It kind of has everything an elk needs. And only to come to find out like two of those pins were right on areas that had outfitters in them. Yeah,
3: they're there. They got to be good. Yeah.
2: So like I was I thought on
3: our end was good for e-scouting when they said in our unit there was like two or three outfitter licenses and two of the 10 spots we picked are where the outfitters were we were like, okay, well, at least we're getting good at e-scouting and knowing what to look for. Because in the whole, you know, 600,000-acre unit, they have two or three outfitter licenses, and they picked spots that we wanted to go. Like our one spot we called Jack's spot was primarily our main number one, and we found out there's an outfitter back in there. We're like, okay, well, at least we know what we're doing as far as that goes. Yeah.
0: So let me ask you a quick question. What is – the overall – because I'm sure if these are outfitters, they probably had horses, right? So I've been told mm, yeah. by different folks that uh, outfitters with horses tend to kind of jack everything up for everyone in the area. Is that is that kind of what y'all experienced there, or did y'all not even fool with those spots?
2: Um, well, we didn't know where the outfitters were when we picked our first spot. So we didn't run into them. We did run into other people with horses – um, a lot of people think, with horses. Yeah, when an outfitter sets up a base camp, you know, obviously they're going to have a lot of scent, cooking, all that stuff. And if you don't know and you spend all this time and you're backpacking, you head into that area and it's like, oh man, somebody's already here. Obviously, I... some of the clients, you know, may be hunting close to base camp and this and that. Sure. Um, so you just want to give them their space. Um, and we want to have I... ours too. I would probably touch
3: on. I don't know that it's as relevant as you would think because you can almost Ah. use them to your advantage knowing for the most part someone outfitting that needs a ride as far as we walked is probably not walking where we're going to walk from camp and say, well, if their base camp's in the bottom of this drainage, we actually watched two guys do it. They set up a base camp at the bottom of this drainage and we watched them walk the bottom 5% of the drainages we were hunting every day in a circle and we're like, So there hasn't been one elk bugle. We haven't seen an elk. We haven't done anything with an elk and they're in the same spot every day. Most of the time I would say someone like me and Jack, the shape that we're in aren't going to pay an outfitter to ride us to where we can hike for Mm $4,000. So then we're going to just go there to walk in circles. And I'm not saying that's always the case. Absolutely not. But I'm in my head thinking people like my dad's age, Jack's dad's age that are like, I can't do 60 pounds on my back for eight miles So once we found out where they were, I mean, we ran into locals with horses, and the dude point-blank rides them through the woods and blows bugles until he finds one and ties his horse up. And he said it's not a non-issue with the horse. They all don't care. So I don't know if it jacks it up or not. We're not that experienced, but I do know that we ran into people riding them up and down all over. So – I, yeah, I mean, I
2: mean, I think as a backpacker, you you tend to pay more attention to each canyon and draw, maybe listen a little longer. You know, those people with horses are just like moving and calling, moving and calling, moving and calling, so okay. they may overlook a few things. Yeah, for sure, because they're
3: moving so damn fast. Whereas on foot, we're walking at a mile and a half mile an hour, and it's like me and Jack might blow thirty bugles when they only blew five, and they're already out of the area. So I think it can go both. It can go. Now, they might have a better chance to get on a hot bowl fast, but I I don't think a lot of the people in the outfitters are riding the horses out of camp. It's more for weight in and weight out to not carry all the Okay.
0: No, that dogs. makes sense. It sounds like it's something that you can kind of leverage, yeah, you know, Preston, kind of you and I have talked about when you're hunting public land up there in Pennsylvania and Ohio, how you kind of leverage other hunters in the area. It sounds like it's kind of similar uh, in Idaho when it comes yeah, to. Yeah. Like, outfitters. I mean,
3: we were just like, well, if there's outfitters there, we know we picked good spots, which means probably this spot's a good spot. And we got to the head of the drainage to start the hike in, and we're like, what did we count, Jack? Five trucks or six trucks and two horse trailers?" Yeah, but we were like, "We don't know where they're all at, so let's just start going. The horses might be one party, five parties. We we really didn't know anything, so we just sort
2: of you go ahead, Jack. We just
3: we hiked in, I guess.
2: Yeah, it's just you know, I our, we're still relatively young. We feel like we're in shape. We feel like you know, if there is this many people here, we're willing to go." probably deeper than 75% of them or or work a little harder. And you know, you got to have that attitude. Yeah. Like we, at the same time, time, there might be some people smarter than us that are like, (laughs) I don't need to do that. You know, they find the little hidey holes. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, the
3: kid we ran into that was a local on his horses, he's looking at us and he went, how the hell did you get here? And we're like, Oh, we walked. He's like, from where? Like, oh. where we parked and he's like oh that's awful we're like oh it wasn't great
2: <laughs>
3: <laughs> we're, we're at eight thousand feet with oxygen deprivation i cannot catch my breath to save my life and we're carrying half my body weight I'm like this sucks yeah.
0: <laughs> that uh
3: for sure the hardest part was the air
2: the air acclimation
0: so for is the first it two that...
2: days yeah the first couple days the first couple days it's your lungs then it's your legs um the first day though You know, we decided to hike in, took our time. It was a little bit of a wander fest because you know the general area that you're headed into, um, but you don't know exactly where you want to settle in on. You're using your glasses. You're trying to find a reasonable campsite. And one of the difficulties that we ran into this year is, obviously, you want to camp close to a creek or water, and and it was pretty dry. So even when we did settle on our camp spot for the first day, we knew we were still going to have some distance to hike sure um, you know every morning um to a glass b get into the elk um you know because it's no problem for them to walk five six miles between bedding and water um but it's uh, you know more difficult for us to be doing that but we knew we were headed in, in in for work so
0: so y'all eliminated spots based on outfitters that were there picked other spots that uh, were these kind of like your bc and d spots or were these still kind of primary targets
3: I would say they were, I'd say they were all a spot, but just on the map coming down the main road, you had the first spot, second spot, and we said, we're going to hit each one until we're comfortable with what's parked at the bottom of this trailhead. And then we're going to just go. And the very first one, we happened to look at each other and we're like, well, five trucks aren't bad. And we're like, those trucks look like they're together. And those ones might, that might only be like five guys and it could be two parties. We're like, fuck it. Let's put our shit on. Let's go. And we just got out of the truck and started hiking because we knew we were heading for a six to seven miles from the truck. So most likely we were going to pass these camps, which we did. We passed all of them. We're like, we just passed all these tents. That's as many trucks as there were. So we're now further than anybody else.
0: Okay. So it wasn't really B- BDC.
3: It was just in order of a map that we got to it from the road. That's all. Yeah. Our,
0: our,
2: our e-scouting, we had dropped about 12 pins. We started to reach out to our contacts Started to tear our spots, and of the spots we were looking at for the first place to hike into, there's three to four of them that I would give all a great A, and the others were further down or weren't hiking spots or maybe day hunt right. spots. So you're kind of you know categorizing them in that okay, way. neat. I would say that's accurate. Yeah.
0: So day one was a Sunday, Saturday. Saturday was a hiking day.
2: Yeah, you. So you're just trying to settle on camp.
3: No, um, no, 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 no. We got there Saturday night at 2 a.m., went to sleep, and hiked in Sunday. Okay. Yeah, Sunday. Which, mind you, actually, funny story. We had nowhere to park the RV. There's a state park. I pulled in. I'm like, oh, this is perfect. Look, all these spots we parked. Wake up in the morning. I get out of the camper to take a leak, and on about a 9-foot by 6-foot whiteboard, there's a truck with a trailer hooked to it with a giant red circle and a line through it. Absolutely no RV loitering with a fine underneath it. I was like, Jack, wake up. We got to go. It's about <laughs> 6 a.m. We drove, we drove 32 hours, parked at 2. It was 6. And I'm like, wake your ass up. we got to load the trailer. we got to get the hell out of here. I'm like, I don't know if this thing's federal or state, but we are not allowed to be parked here with an RV. Let's go. <laughs> yeah. So we got lucky. Well, because you think about it, you're pulling a camper. Where do you park? Right. Like, we didn't think about that. After thirty-two hours, we were just right. tired. You were just looking for yeah, a spot to, so to land. Yeah, yeah.
2: We were we got there so late. All the campgrounds and that were closed. Yep. So we started our hiking about what Jack noon on Sunday. Yeah, and we finally yeah. set up camp around seven. Yeah, and we hiked the entire time. It was
3: what did we end up mapping? It six point eight miles or seven? Something like that. Yeah. Yeah, it was seven. Oh no. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Our base camp was seven miles from the truck, but the elevation was hurting us pretty bad. So we were like not at a very fast pace because our lungs weren't like your legs aren't tired. Your body's not tired. The bag's not bad, but you breathe and it feels like there's straps on your chest. So you just can't, you can't overexert because you just can't get a breath. So we only went seven miles and it took basically the whole day just because we had to slow down because we're like, you breathe in, and it feels like you're in a hot tub. You know where it kind of catches your breath?
2: It was, it was also a lesson learned from last year um, where our first day, we just, like, crushed it. And we had a really good day, but we got done so late that we burned ourselves for the next day. So we went in there thinking, like, hey, we got full packs. Let's settle on a good spot, and let's go from there. Okay. Yeah. So it was like a
3: six, seven hour hike in, stopping. Um, We shot at a couple grouse, sage grouse on the way in.
0: (laughs) Did you get Um, your arrows back?
3: Actually, we lost our arrows. What, Jack? Three out of five times. We lost a bunch of arrows, like pass-throughs, and it's just gone. Like, sayonara. The one I (laughs) shot at in a tree, I mean, the arrow went into the atmosphere. (laughs) (laughs) I was the only one who got an arrow back, I think. Actually, you were. Yeah. Oh, no. That one I shot on the rock shelf, oh, and yeah, it went yeah, like 30 yeah. yards. We found that. I mean, it was all jacked up, but we found it. Yeah. So, Jack um, shot a turkey of a sage grouse. Sorry. <laughs> what was the blue grouse?
2: Oh, it was blue massive. That yeah. no oh, was massive. Grouse. I think they might be protected in Idaho. You <laughs> <Okay>. Blue <laughs> grouse. This thing, this thing was two foot tall. It was absurd. <laughs> um, so, yeah, we got some grouse. Um, that was a good time we set up camp. Um, we had walking in this kind of whole drainage and valley in front of us and we're trying to like creep up and look at it as the sun's fading um we're like oh this looks pretty good we did run into a couple guys on our way in and we decided to camp up ahead of them in looking at where the back where they were camping and then where we were we're like there's no way they're going up where we are that's got to be untouched
3: because their camp was their camp was two miles from our camp yeah. And they were, like, more middle-aged guys and we're like, well, if we're going right. to go three miles and climb 2,000 feet, 3,000 feet, they're not doing
2: five right. miles and climbing right. 3,000. Right. There's just no way. So, so morning of day two, um, we wake up. We get our stuff together. I think we may have slept in a little bit. But honestly, you know, walking into a place where you haven't been there before, I don't think that's really a deficit. You want a little bit of a, a light. You don't want to walk past something that's right in front of you. Which um, ended up working yeah that's we actually needed that yeah so we walked up i don't know 500 yards and i threw up the binos and i'm looking and up on this hillside and our third guy um zane is like hey i think i see something we look up like a six by six up on the hill um he's bedded up near the crest of this hill and there's like a little spike or a four point or something like that um, that is working his way up. And, you know, as light starts to come up, it wasn't that cold yet. They're going to come off those south-facing slopes where they're feeding and work their way back into right. bedding. Um, so we're, like, immediately, like, adrenaline's going. We're like, this is awesome. We're five <laughs> minutes into the first day. Let's go. So starts start to come up with a plan. Thermals are still coming down in the morning. We're like, okay, let's work up this drainage. We're going to work up here, come across the corner, let the thermal switch, and come in from them on the top because um, it doesn't take that long when the sun starts to hit the slopes. The, the sun starts warming the south-facing slopes, gets a little swirly, the wind comes up, but on the dark-facing north slopes, the, uh, the thermals are still going down, so it gets, like, real swirly. They're not consistent at all. Um, so we start to work up this drainage, trying to keep in mind where he might be headed, and we're kind of maybe halfway up, and we loop around, uh, try to get away from him so we, we're not going to dirty up the area with our scent on their uh swirling thermals. And we look across the valley at the other way and we're like,
3: what do you now see? mind
2: you, this is like rolling
3: sage that we can probably see what Jack a mile at least. And there's yeah. just like massive, like Walt, well, there's these like rolling planes that drop literally probably 300 feet in elevation and come wow. back up, drop 300, and they yeah. just roll. And it's like as easily a mile as far as you can see. So, yeah, we're like,
2: this is to our east. Yeah, so we're working up the sage, trying to keep in mind where these bulls might be heading to bed down. And we're looking up and we're like, look at that big trail. I wonder if that's like an elk trail or what's that going on. And somebody's like, I think you see more elk. And we look up over on the other hill. Unlike um, what we found was a pretty significant trail. It's like a way in for people, it's just a, a rough road with the elevation. We're like, oh my gosh, look at that. There's like, 30 head of elk coming down, like a couple bulls, a dark chocolate one. And they look like they're rotten. Like we were definitely in action. They're just
3: pushing them. They're just pushing
2: them hard. They're like a mile and a half. There's not much we could do, but they were pushing. pushing And and one of the things that I learned big time this trip in a couple of different instances were how fast an elk is moving when it's just walking. And when it's at a trot, it's like your full run. So we're looking up at the, oh, yeah, man, that's a big, oh, that's a big It's absurd how much ground they could cover compared
3: to us, especially running through like me or you running through sage, you're not covering a lot of ground because this brush is slowing you down so painfully. It doesn't do take,
2: anything to them. Yeah, sage, you can't take three steps in a straight line. It's like step, zigzag, step, zigzag. Um, so they're working down here. We're like, I don't know, they might work our way, you know, watching them for a little bit, and just about like, 500 400 yards off to our left i see a cow come up over the hill we're like oh whoa, there's one coming and it's not all that far and i start to yeah, ha- i would say
0: to...
2: what would you say was in a straight line 500 600 yards prior, right yeah and we are looking and it starts walking up over and i'm like oh that's cool I mean, watch, let's watch them for a minute see if there's anything else that's set on and then kind of at a quick trot you start to see tines come up over the hill and we're like Oh my gosh. And I'm looking and I'm thinking for a second and the guy from Idaho is with us. He's like, we got to get set up. We got to get set up. I think he had obviously more of an appreciation for how fast they can move. So we, we try to get set up. We, we try to get him back a little bit. He's calling. We had drawn straws on the way in. So Preston's first shooter, I'm going to film. And then our third guy, Zane is going to run the calls. Um, He moves back up and behind us a little bit. We get Preston on what we think is the Elks general trajectory and it wasn't 30 or 45 seconds before they're coming up over the hill max and yeah and they're was working, insane they're working through the pines this is a bull pushing a couple of cows and our guy's putting out a couple of calls but i mean he didn't really seem interested in coming over to check us out because he already had cows in front of him and i don't know Preston. what do you think that that bull passed by at about like well, the part
3: when he dipped down into the bottom we were like we have to get to the top of this drainage, which was a hundred yards, and where we stopped and dropped our bags. He ran broadside directly past it, yeah. so he passed he us at about eight. where we were. All we do is stay there, and he would have walked on top of us. But he passed us at like eighty yards, and he bugled once to our guy, Colin, at a three-quarter trot, pushing his cows up into this drainage. Though so he could have cared less if we were there; didn't even matter. He had two cows and a calf was with the one cow I mean it was it was no different than a deer and rut He did not give a crap we were there He's like whatever you guys can keep <laughs> you going it doesn't make any difference that was like
2: that was like our number one and a half into the hunt mm-hmm. so he he keeps going they don't keep responding to the calls so we're like uh, I don't know like we, we know like we're, we're not gonna catch them and if you're just walking into them blindly trying to trail that that oak up the hill, once the thermal starts to switch, you're just going to blow them out anyway. So it looks like he's headed up into the general area where we saw the other pole work into anyway. So we're like, okay, let's just keep working up this opposite draw. We'll let the thermal switch will locate them and we'll come down right on top of them. Um, taking our time, making sure the wind's right. We're working up this Hill. I think we spend like the next two and a half hours doing that, you know, stop and call and stop and calling. And, and, um, it might've been like 11, 1130. We work our way up onto this little bit of a bench area and I got the impression that the first area we chose was maybe a summering spot for the bulls, like where they were back up, they start to lose right. their velvet, and then they start to move out and find some cows. Because throughout our stay in this first spot, we really didn't see that many cows. Like the bull to cow ratio in this unit was pretty good. It, it goes on the order of 20 to 30 bulls per 100 cows. It's pretty good. A lot of places you'll see are 8, 12. So they might have high populations, but I am starting to look at that bull-to-cow ratio as a really important marker of a good unit. So we knew what it was going into it, and we're, we're seeing like even bulls-to-cows throughout our time, and I'm like, that's kind of weird. So I got the impression that it was I, kind of a sunny yeah. area. So we we get up on this flat, and I say that because there are rubs everywhere. You cannot walk past a 4- to 6-inch jack pine or lodgepole pine or whatever are they out there, and it's not rubbed from – Maybe your head to your ankles if you're. I've never five.
3: seen. There's like no way to explain it. I mean, hundreds of rubs, hundreds every square inch in certain areas. There weren't even trees hardly that weren't rubbed, and we're talking. I'm like almost six foot on the nose, and I couldn't reach with my hand to the top of them. Demolished, the wow. like the size of your legs, and there was a lateral rub. The tree had to be 16 inches in diameter. 10-foot-wide rubbed where a tree fell. I mean, for acres and acres and acres, you couldn't
2: – it was – like we were baffled. Cool. i would never yeah, seen something really cool. like that with that no. kind of density. Um, and I think it was like 11, 11, 30 a.m. We're like, okay, well, let's stop and grab a snack. We'll let the thermals settle down, and we'll <laughs> execute our plan. <laughs> I forgot so, about this. Yeah, oh, first, first, first morning, we're sitting there. It's 12.30. Yeah, it's still, like, a little chilly, right? Like, we're you're hiking, and, and you use stuff out there that you don't normally use. Like, it's dry air. So, like, hiking, it could be 40 degrees out, and you've got, like, nothing on but, like, a wicking shirt or something like the Sitka gear we were using. Subtle plug. Um, the core lightweight stuff was awesome. It's just, you know, it's awesome for hiking. But as soon as you stop, you're like, oh, oh we're all right. chilly. So we're sitting there having a snack. I'm like, oh, I'm going to move over and sit in the sun. What am I doing sitting in the shade? One of the another important kind of DIY tip is we got from other people is change your socks. So we we got our boots off, we're like airing out our feet, changing our socks because you got to save your feet on a week. Oh my ride. god, Good lifesaver um, this year.
3: Hands he just, down, game changer for
2: us was how often we change socks for sure. On so, a side um, tip, Preston and then Zane move over. They're sitting in the sun too. Our packs are about like eight yards up. So let me from us.
3: let me re reiterate here. Jack being cold and moving into the sun
2: <laughs> yeah,
0: led, like the entire entire group,
3: led the entire group into having to move, which turned <laughs> out to be
2: costly. So we're, we're sitting there with our, our boots off, like just enjoying the sun. and No Zane's socks. Like, Zane's yep. messing around on a cow call, and we're like, did you hear that? Zane's like, I think I heard a stick break. He starts to sit up a little bit and, and stands up. He's like, oh, my gosh, there's an elk. <laughs> like 40 yards away. So he Never, creeps up. Ever- Never bugled, which turned to be the story of the trip. He he creeps up. He person's like, grab my boat, grab my boat. Like tries she's struggling to unbuckle it from the pack, because we've all got him like triple strapped in so nothing's coming loose from our packs. Slides it over to him. I managed to get the camera up and um here walks up this spike, you know, walking up the hill and walks into like 20 yards like what's going on guys <laughs> you know like not making any noises like that he's just coming in to check it out like hey i heard there's some cows up here what's going on it's not the kind of elk that's going to bugle back at you um and preston finally gets a hold of his boat standing there in his bare feet i've got an unobstructed view clear shot like dead as a doornail. Yes. We have a And he's about a yard and a half to my left. So when you watch our video, you can be like, why is nobody shooting? I don't understand. The elk starts to take a couple more steps. Preston gets a clear view, gives them like a little mew to get them to stop. And uh, most of the time, I'd say that elk is just going to stop on a dime and be like, what was that? And look in your direction. This guy takes about two and a half more steps and puts him directly behind the tree. I mean, like,
3: well, no... 28 yards, broadside, wide open. He hears it. His ears twitch. He goes nine more feet and then stops only behind Pine Pickett. And there's zero. Now, I mean, I couldn't shoot a hoof if I had to. And he just stands. Zane has an open shot. Jack has an open shot. I'm at full draw. Nothing you can do. And now he pinned me and Jack down dead to rights. And Jack's on a log in the sun with a monopod, six feet in the air, filming, looking up at it,
2: we're to- like we're toast at this point. Yeah. So he he spent about maybe 10 seconds looking in our direction with Preston the full draw and just busted out of there. And um, I think we messed around with him, and there was a, a little um, – another spike with him that had, like, kind of bigger spikes. I think he took to calling them, like, Jerry and Steve or something like that. Yeah, Jerry and, um, was the big spike, and Steve was, was the little guy. Because we ran into Jerry another morning um yes we
3: did we ran into uh,
2: three times (laughs) (laughs) Jerry educated spike um yes he's very smart at this point tried to mess around with them for a little bit longer calling and this and that because we we were able to work down the hill a little bit but like at that point the jig was up they're like i know there's something up there but i'm not getting closer than about 75 yards yeah because we called him back in what an hour later
3: with Mm -hmm. he brought jerry back with him which was like he had, like, probably 24-inch spikes. He was re- in full velvet. He was cool. like. Mm-hmm. And they came back together to the same damn spot, no bugles, and they caught us off guard again the second time. Because, dude, you don't hear them coming. They make 0. 0.0 noise and don't bugle, which was a serious issue on our trip because we didn't know these elk were anywhere. But uh, that's an,
2: One of the things that I find most amazing about elk is that an animal – that can be that loud and make that much noise, can then turn around and be as quiet as a cat.
0: Yeah. Dead gum. Yeah, which is...
3: I mean, like, three of you sitting there making no noise in a 650-pound elk got to 40 yards. We saw him before we heard him. And everything in there is... We can't walk five feet without breaking logs. And he showed up right on our doors, which ended up happening, honestly, 10 more times to us. Mm. And you just... And, and, and Zane with us was getting really frustrated, but me and Jack have this experience hunting Northeastern turkeys. Cause we have a lot of experience with them, not gobbling and they just show up at 30 yards dead silent. And you're like, you can't get mad about it. Cause you can't hunt something you don't know exists around that, around the next bend. It's impossible. I don't care who you are. And you can't sit in one area and call for six hours. Cause you don't know if they're there or not. So it really it really proved difficult with them
0: not viewing hmm. at all. God, that's you know but that kind of defies that jack- everything that everybody tells you. Where which is that, elk are like amazingly quiet for their size, but relatively loud even when they're being quiet. Do you think that has to do with like uh, hunting elk in blowdowns versus uh, in Idaho, where it seems like you've got some more open areas? I don't yeah. know. I'm sure
2: terrain has a portion to do with it. Um, it wasn't open where we were though. It was I thicker than son of a bitch. I mean it's not like Oregon or Northern Idaho. Um Well that's well true. But it wasn't like as open as Wyoming. No. I mean you yeah, in, in your variability of terrain. It's just like, you know, when one elk wants to be quiet or loop his way around, you it's it's really easy to lose track of an animal that's as big of it as they are. Yeah. Yeah, my I just pulled up the the clip that we're talking about now and, and when Preston mews at that elk. His his head right now for me on the video camera is the only thing and he just stands there for like 30 seconds and Preston's draw yeah. like, I can't see
3: anything.
2: <laughs> hundred percent obstructed uh. at twenty eight yards.
3: And the issue was we mewed so he was looking at us. So I couldn't even do I couldn't do anything. My only hope was he walked ten more feet, but he didn't. He just kind of got a little And we were sitting in the sun at 28 yards. He could see us playing his day. Mm -hmm. Um, And that pretty well, what, what did we do? Hike 29 million more miles. And that was the end of that day, right?
2: Yeah.
0: I'm looking. How many miles? I'm
2: trying to remember here. Was it? (laughs) A lot. We averaged
0: 12.8 a day. God almighty.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Our phone,
3: like, tracked everything, steps, you know, mileage. And uh, we did 12.8 average. And you gotta remember there was days we only did like six because we hiked in and out.
0: <laughs> oh man, that wow. is that is freaking brutal. Do y'all have like are there places I can hunt where it's like a half mile in, a half mile out? Maybe someone else <laughs> does, but I don't think we do. I need some I fat I need some fat boy did, distances, would... man. I'm not ready for that. <laughs> I, I would have I would tell you where it was. I'd be there. And there I, was. I'm, I'm not like Preston where I can post like Instagram stories with my shirt off. People would just start unfollowing me, man. I... <laughs> Look, that's
3: from the nape. That's from the nape. Of the... Oh, first
0: off. <laughs> I, yeah, I saw some pectoral on some, 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 shoulders, man. I was like, Oh, I can't hang with him. <laughs> <laughs> I got caught in a flood. It
2: monsooned.
3: <laughs> I was in my I was in my underwear, and the truck pissed off because I couldn't hook
0: <laughs> That's not the only time you've done it, man. <laughs> you'll be at home. You'd be like, you'll be like, hey guys, uh, just posted a new video. I'm like, oh, yep, he's shirtless again. Must be nice. <laughs> <laughs> I do. I, I love that. I'm a big gym, big gym short guy in my own house. <laughs> yeah, me too. I just don't post it on social. I... <laughs> It's from the neck up. That's
1: it. They're, different. They're wearing a deep
0: knee neck. One or two of my lady listeners are going to be looking you up and subscribing after I post this. <laughs> can go ways. <laughs> All right. Well, we got off track there. I apologize, gentlemen.
3: That, I, I, honestly, the rest of day one was what? Five
2: more miles, and we ran into those locals, but we didn't hear any more bulls anywhere, did we? I don't think so. Yeah. I'm trying to remember the specific order of things. It was that, that, um, that bull calf was the next day, right? Yes. Yeah. yeah it was day two. Yeah, that's what I thought. Yeah. Yeah. That um, was, yeah, that was on. Uh, yeah. We glassed that valley the rest of the evening. We didn't get a lot of bugles or anything like that the rest of the day. Um, no bugles. That was the, that was the evening that we heard, a, thought we heard a bugle right at the end and, and try to hurry and get it set up. And I think you were saying you're about to draw on a horse, and you're like, that we'll see like, which was surprising. Yeah. It was surprising to us. Cause we set up and
3: here, this guy comes on his horse with his wife and he's like, reg- like legitimately bugling back at us the whole time what? coming down out of this drainage, which sound- he was trying to let us know he was a person, but his lead horse was a dark jet Brown horse. And it was dusk. I'm like, that's freaking dangerous. Yeah, as hell, Jesus. I mean, it was coming. I went the full draw. And I'm like, what the hell is that? But it was the same colorish as like a muddied up elk. And then I saw him, like ten feet behind the horse, and I let down. And I'm like, good god, man! I, I was like, I was, I didn't say anything to him, but I was thinking, you know, that was dangerous. I, I thought, would have said something to
0: him. He, he needs to put a so, blaze orange or something on that damn horse.
2: It, it was. It was. I mean, once it, once his neck came through, you could see like the panniers and stuff like that.
3: On yeah. The yeah. Gotcha. But you can see how stupid stuff happens with someone who doesn't really know much yeah. about anything. Because it was the horse was thirty five yards walking through like heavy timber. I mean, if you had a gun, you could easily just pull the trigger and knock right. down. Damn. Um, but our, yeah, the rest of day one was pretty slow. I
0: think. Well, it got off to a pretty good mm-hmm. start. I think anybody would take that day one. Oh, so at this sure. point, I mean, we were. Yeah, so hard at this up. point, I have to. I have to gauge like what was the optimism level? Was it like yeah? No, 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 no cows are getting shot this trip, or was it more humble? No, I wouldn't say
3: that. <laughs> no, I wouldn't say that because we actually go start off with day two because we had a pretty heavy discussion after letting a cow. Walk by,
0: which <laughs> Wait a second! Up, I thought that was like day five or six. It, if you hadn't seen anything, that was when the cow conversation would happen.
3: Well, when you're eight uh-huh. miles from a truck and it's it's going to run toward camp, it brings it back into play real fast. Okay. The terrain on on a map and the terrain once you're there at 9,000 feet changes when you go, this is going to burn two days of a hunt if we kill one here, but if we shoot this one, it doesn't burn much of any time because it's going to go toward camp because it just was so freaking far away. We didn't realize, which actually in hindsight we're really glad because it was a bull calf. Um, We didn't know watching it. When we watched the video, you could see his – like button buck right. almost. Um, so we're really, really glad that we didn't shoot. It just looks small, but we're like, we got bulls bugle and hell with that. It's day
2: two, but um, yeah, pressure had been up. We had a few bugles in the morning. I think we saw that six point again. Same we did, we saw him. Thing in the morning, yeah. We saw a smaller this, one, yeah. Starts to work into this drainage. Um, we're like, okay, let's kind of repeat the game plan from before, uh, work our way up, and we're up on this, this spine um like kind of a about a drainage away from well, a drainage over so there's drainage one drainage two yeah
3: running from west to east and we're on the east side of drainage two so we'd have to go down up down up to get back to where we thought they were if right. that makes sense which is what would you say jack three hours
2: no you know person you know just going back to day one um that wasn't the end of the day we it was it was later on that day that afternoon, we were working our way, and we thought we might have heard something, and we busted those two quiet bulls, two or three out in front of us, and they ran down into the drainage in front of us and rustled up what was probably that five or six point that
3: we oh, saw. You're right.
2: yeah.
1: Oh, you're right. Oh, yeah, we
3: did
2: get on four branch antlers. Yeah, They, they went. Wind, they
3: winded us or something. They didn't they took take off. Oh, yeah. They didn't it get did a it, lick. Uh-uh. Not one. Yeah, so, like, we circled this drainage wall, I mean, from south to east to north. I mean, ripping every call and walked right over top of these bulls, and they were downwind of us on this drainage. Yeah. We were just gonna glass, and they because busted out. We started out, to
2: set up to look into the drainage where we thought the, the morning bull went, and these three ripped down in there and rip up the hill. In in the process, I think stirred up the one that we had seen work his way in, and he's looking around like, well, "What was that? What's going on?" Like, didn't quite understand it. Um, and those, the other three kept running up the hill and this one, we thought settled down in there and and we worked our way through there, trying to be real cautious about the wind. Um, but he, we just never, you know, called him up. He never made a noise. He
3: He never bugled.
2: This is like four, three in the afternoon. We're watching him
3: cruise in this bedding area and he never bugled once, just didn't bugle. And we knew he was in there. We watched him from 300 yards, circled him and went right into his bedroom and he made no noise. Like, so,
2: so, we, so going into so, day two, we're like, we got that in our pocket. You know, we, we think he's going to be back in the same area. We see him in the morning. He's working his way over into this dark facing timber. He's going to be down in there. It looked great. Like great bedding habitat, deadfalls. Um, so, and we're up on drainage number two, which if you're standing up at the bottom of it is to your right. And we're calling to go and going, calling to go. And I think somebody like looked down over the hill. We were looking down into that drainage where we saw him the day before and I, I didn't see him, but somebody else is like, "There's, there's a cow running across the hill down there." I think he's coming up this way. Yeah. So we start to kind of get set up, and like it runs up the hill. It's right in front of us, and I got great footage of that too because we were, we're kind of caught out in the middle. We had, um, I forgot about that. We had just a little bit of cover as this elk's starting to work away across from us and in front of us, and it's working our right to our left. And Zane starts to call a little bit, but we're like kind of in the sun. We think we're a little exposed. And we're kinda of huddled like the three stooges about all behind the same tree. So this bull <laughs> this bull calf ended up being It ended up being right a bull out. calf, so it's thank God. So we what's
0: the can you can you break so, can you break uh, down what a bull calf is?
3: It's, it's like a, a little oh, button, okay, like a first Gotcha. Ear button buck version of an elk which yeah actually the guy with us was like i'm positive that was a bull calf because it just his body wasn't big enough to be a cow and he was too big to be a calf which he recognized much better than us and then we played the footage back and you can see his button wow. bucks.
0: Yeah. you got lucky
2: yeah i got that in front of me i got like over pressed in shoulder view through the video camera you know, standing there about 35 30 yards and he's looking at us, kind of curious. You can tell he's young because he's like not running. He's just, "What's that? What's going on?" And me and Zane were kind of standing there, like wondering, but nobody's saying anything. Like, I wonder if
0: Preston's gonna shoot.
2: Like, I don't know. And and then afterwards, he's like, "Oh, I didn't know if I should shoot." We're like, "Dude, it's your tag."
0: That's crazy, man. I see. I wouldn't have. I don't know if I would have had that same. See, like, if, if you're if Zane wasn't there, would y'all yeah. have shot that? You think?
3: So that's where the conversation then ensued with us each. And we did say at that point, we were like, look, if we're in this drainage or this drainage, let's whale. And I said, I'll whale cow, no problem. And I said, but if we're in this one or this one, we can't ruin a hunt for a cow that far in because it just burns into Jack and Zane's time. And we were just getting into elk everywhere. And we said, okay, cool. And then even later in the hunt, once Jack was up, we were in the one drainage and he goes, yeah, cows off the table because it was going to ruin two to three days. And we're like, we can't do that for cow when we're on bulls. So we actually had that conversation and it's just funny how stuff pans out because had it been a bull calf that we killed, I mean, that would have sucked. Like I wouldn't like to do that. So it worked in our favor, but this is like day two afternoon and a cow was now on the table for me. Absolutely. If it were to happen, which Mm -hmm. I'll just, I'll burn the story short. Never fucking happened because we were ready to pound one, and it never, never came up once again.
0: Unfortunately, wow,
2: yeah, it was kind of weird. Like we didn't really. Um, I, uh, we'll get to it later. I maybe would have had a shot at a cow, but I, I probably wouldn't have made the shot because I was gassed. Once we get to later on in the hunt, um, so know. We see the bull calf. We 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 know where those bull that bull was the day before. So we're like, oh, let's work our way over to the drainage. We let the thermal switch. Um, we worked our way up the hill and found a little trickle of a spring, refilled our water, which was an issue because once we gained elevation for the day, like that's all the water you got because the, After the we used- gave you a water story and it almost <laughs> happened. Walt, there was no <laughs> water. Yeah,
3: it was un- honestly, it was unnerving slightly because we were real far and you're like, what do you do? You, d- you can't make water out of nothing, you know? And we were like, this can't happen again. We're at
2: 10,000 feet. There's no damn water. Yeah. We did run dry the first day and yeah, people All ran us into, were out. Yeah. Right at the end of the day. Um, yeah. there's people we ran into the first day said, Oh, well, if you go a little higher, there's, there's a, a trickle up there. So the second day we work down, refill our, our water, take our time thermal switch and we get up the spine from where we think this elk is. Cause we had gotten a bugle out of them before. So we're going to work our way up over there. Um, And we start to get in position, thinking where we're set up, and I'll let Preston tell this part. (laughs) Yeah, so
3: we we had had him what, Jack, about eight thirty in the morning, crack off like hard over and over and over. He was just hammering. So we actually, oh Jack, I forgot on day two. So in drainage number two, we were actually set up on that bull already that hammered in the morning right in front of us. Remember, and he was answering back and forth to us now we would have been in the second drainage wall and this bull was directly below us. Remember Jack, he was, he was answering us pretty good. And then we actually ended up making the decision cause he shut up and we had another bull, a drainage over. And I said, okay, I'm going to bugle one time and whichever bull answers us, that's where we're going. And mm-hmm. I bugled and the bull over and the other drainage just lit up on us. And we were like, okay, that's the one we got to go to. Cause he was, he was pretty chatty all morning, Walt. Like, he just, every five minutes, like, clockwork, he got, he would bugle, and then he'd bugle, and then he ended up shutting up. We circled him.
2: Well, we, um, got, it, we got one when we, that's one of the hard parts I really started to appreciate about elk hunting is, if you're across a drainage in an elk bugle's and you you can pinpoint him, like almost pinpoint him. And we got one of those bugles from him We were where we were in a pr- position to really appreciate it. Now, at the same time, you could be on the same hillside as this elk in a perfect position with the wind in your face. And if you haven't really pinpointed him from a good location, I mean, he could be, like, 350 yards below you, and you're like, I don't know. How far was it? Like, if his head's turned one way versus the other, they're bugling through thick timber. It's like, "Ah, I'm not sure. Like, they can almost sound like they're in two different positions. But this one, we got that bugle to say he's right there, and he's bedded down. The thermals are coming up. He's not going to move, and we started to work up on the hillside from him.
3: Which was, I would say – 9 30 10 in the morning and we got above him finally and we actually we actually did stop jack remember because we all three had a little difference of opinion and i was like Mm -hmm. i'm telling you i go we are right now because we're running onyx walls, so like we're using it to our fullest advantage and you're using that on your phones right i know yeah 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 and i'm like i know for a fact he has to be inside 200 yards and i don't know how close we can get and we're mid-discussion, and then what do you think happens? He just lights up, and we didn't even make a noise, and we're like, oh (laughs) shit, he is right on top of us.
0: Guys, that's where I'm going to leave you for this episode, but... Stay tuned. Part three will be dropping very soon, and I hope you enjoyed it, and I hope you'll stick around for the second part of what happened there in Idaho. So if you enjoyed this, hit that subscribe button, leave us a rating or review, tell a friend about the podcast, and stay tuned for part three of the DIY Hunter Idaho Elk Trip.